Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another morning edition of the AB Testing Podcast. Yes! How about that for for like getting back to the old days? Yeah, I had a conflict this afternoon, with, with, which has been our new time for the last several months or so, but... As some of you longtime listeners may recall, uh, by the way, I'm Alan, he's Brent, and he's the one whose microphone still is picking up his nose sounds, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out what to do there. But uh, we are recording in the morning. Now, you listen to this whenever you want to. It could be the midnight show, but we're recording in the morning. So what that means is I haven't finished my second cup of coffee yet. Brent probably has. He looks like he's been up. Uh, he has his... Uh, McDonald's coffee, the big one. McCafe. How you doing, man? How how I think our listeners want to know most of all how did that second shot and the aftermath go? I'm I'm pleased to report I think I was one of the lucky few uh that literally got nothing. That's fantastic. I'm hoping I'm one of those too. Yeah, the, I have I have blocked off my schedule for the following day just in case. Yeah, I both times for the shot, I went in for it in the afternoon and took the rest of the day off, went straight home, and I scheduled it on Friday uh, just in case. The only thing I could say, I re, uh, so I physiologically react negatively to strong pressure changes in the environment. So this last weekend, it went from like super sunny to really crappy. So on Monday, I was feeling like complete crap. But that's close to three days after the shot. And there was a huge pressure change. So I'm, I'm far more likely to attribute it to to that aspect of my bad genetics than to the shot. Cool enough. Cool enough. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I don't know if I have much else uh, to share tonight. I mentioned last time that I'm, well, I did, I will be uh, giving an AMA. Oh, this will go good into our, some of our topics today, but I'm giving an AMA, ask me anything uh, for those of you that don't like it when I speak in acronyms on the future of test automation, which should be a lot of fun. Yeah, because you know, I, you know, of course, you, I have I have a different view of the future than a lot of folks do. It's it's interesting because to my perception, you've actually done that talk. I don't know. It feels like three or four times in the. I've in done the, a future of testing, and you know, predicting predicting things is hard, especially about the future. Uh, I think this is just a chance. They know. That given this topic, in my opinions, and given uh, the how many people I've pissed off on the internet about my opinions, that this will bring. I think this is uh, to bring in lots of questions and viewers. So we'll see. It might might be might be just the three our three listeners there in the AMA saying, "Yeah, Alan, you're right." And I go, "This is boring," but we'll find out. Anyway. That's the only upcoming thing I have coming up. There's another conference this summer. 
someone just asked me over LinkedIn and and in this day of in these days of pandemic and everyone's at home, I'm saying yes to a lot more of these than I probably would if we were in a different global situation. But I'm doing another one this summer. I'll talk more about that when we get closer. Nice. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. Do you want to get into our uh, our our A/B testing podcast topics? Sure. Let's yeah. go. And by the way, this is episode one forty one. Counting down to 150. Should we do something special for 150 when we get there? Sure. Okay, yeah, that's uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that up to our three listeners. If you would like to uh, one, maybe just segue into our first topic, uh, we have a Slack group, one of the three.slack.com. You can go to moderntesting.org and find a sign-up link where you can join our Slack and drop in and ask us questions. Or ask questions to the the other two listeners who are there. Uh, this week, we had someone drop into the Slack and ask us some questions about some of our stances, which we can get into or not. I'll leave that up to Brent. The thing I want to call out is we welcome everybody. If you're listening to this podcast and you think we are crazy, maybe crazy is not the right word. If you think we are, our ideas are invalid, or if you think that we're just dumb old guys who don't know anything, you're partially right. All questions are welcome. You don't have to just come in and be a be a fan. You can come in and challenge us. We like it. Uh, we stand by the fact that we're we believe that we aren't inventing anything new. That was never our intent. But that we are just trying to identify and explain what's already happening 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 in many parts of the industry. So those are the discussions we have. And if you don't get it or if you don't get how it works or if you don't get how it works for you or again, if you think that you need to explain to us where we're right and where we're wrong, all that's cool and welcome. The community is there for the open, objective conversation on these on this front. Like in, in my view, and I'm fairly certain... Alan shares this view. There's a lot of places in what we talk about where, honestly, we kind of know we're right. Science backs it up a, a good portion of it. Experience backs up the rest. But it is context sensitive. The we We want that conversation to be happening within the test community. That is the absolute... Even if we're wrong in your context, um, we think the single most important thing is to get the conversation going. One of the things that a term that I don't, a term that I'm fighting against is sort of intellectual laziness within the test community. Uh, This prevailing belief that it ain't broke. But Brent, we're the only ones with critical thinking. Yeah. Um, uh, Walk that uh, talk, buddy. Yeah, I don't think we can make that statement because, and I, I forget because we're 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 lacking serious study in something. I forget. It. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> social sciences. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can we? Um, Maybe one topic not on the list, if you want. Can we do one thing I wanted to talk to you about that isn't on our list? 
I'm going to do it. Actually, I'll do it now because I already brought it up. Along those lines, something, this wasn't in, that, now moving on from the one of the three, you can, if you want to discuss this more with me, explain it to me. You're welcome to come to our Slack community, talk to me there, or just message me on Twitter. So you've heard us rant about checking versus testing, how we don't really care. There's another pair, a, a, a false dichotomy coming around that I'm seeing more and more in tweets and articles. This is the idea of shallow versus deep testing. Okay. It's from the look on your face and the sound of your voice. You haven't seen this argument before. No. I'm it goes back to my developer mindset thing, which a lot of people versus a tester mindset versus BS, which a lot of people disagree with my stance on that. And that's fine. I I call it like I see it. And if I see it differently from you, that's a discussion we can have. I'm not trying to prescribe anything, just trying no, to I, describe what I see. So the shallow versus deep, the idea is, yeah, sure. Developers can test. They Oh, compromise. But they can only do shallow testing because they don't care about deep testing. And you need to do deep testing to have high quality. That's the statement. Uh, what's the evidence of that? <laughs> uh, study of the social sciences. And if it's <laughs> sure, because the study of the social sciences is going to address the question of whether around whether software products are better with or without deep testing. I would like to understand that. that well, deep testing, Brent, I mean, we could do devil's advocate on this. And I, yeah. I mean, maybe there's a whole modern versus we still have to do a rehash of a modern versus traditional on some of these topics. But the argument is that deep testing defends the customer against risk or those are words I made up, not, not the actual words, but deep testing is where we find the issues that, that impact the customer, all these edge cases and things like that. Part of me, when I, when I hear this around shallow versus deep, right? Part of me feels like it's code words for the checking versus testing conversation. Well, it's not, I mean, it's a different, it's a different conversation, but my argument, I don't want to go deeply into this, but it's often described as shallow versus deep. And I think, there is no dichotomy there. You do deep enough testing for the context of the software that you're shipping. If I'm shipping 50 right. times a day, I'm my deep testing is uh, my analytics and monitoring. The dichotomy of, of shallow versus deep, I, I think it's constructing an, a needless argument. Its purpose to me, it feels, is to sort of create... A, a foundation for an argument uh, or a debate that's that his sole purpose is to say only tests can do it, right? So if, if if you agree to that point, then to me it's a debate argument. It's not really much to do with with technicality because the reality is you should test exactly the amount of things that you should test. Uh, and it doesn't actually, it, in my in my experience, it doesn't actually split around deep versus shallow, right? It more splits around customers, customers need customers value. That doesn't mean you should be intellectually lazy when you go through it. Obviously deep versus shallow is something that you should think about. But when I think about deep, I tend to think of it more along the lines of, of systems thinking type of things that we've been talking about before. You, you gotta know how the dots are connected together and, and how it 
may um, have those integration points. Yeah. May, may I, again, uh, have to let the context dictate the depth of your testing. Uh, I think there's an argument that all, and well, it's not stated correctly, so someone will correct me and say, that's not what they're saying. I will say that there's an assumption, but I've read about it, and maybe you're right. I think it's there as a point of controversy and to justify kicking your heels in and saying the way we've always done it is the way we are. And one way I've described it recently is if you want to compare proponents of people in checking versus testing and shallow versus deep versus what Brent and I, I think our intent is the same. We want to help testers cope with the changes going on around them. uh, Our approach is to help people navigate the change and be successful in flowing forward with the change. Whereas I feel like a lot of these discussions around deep versus shallow and checking versus testing and tester mindset, et cetera, are a lot about helping testers continue to justify the need not to change while the world changes around them. Yeah, the... Completely agree. The the one thing I was thinking of piggybacking, and, and I don't know if this is something that you find interesting to to think about. How might the modern testing principles, in in your view, Alan, be used for evil? Let's imagine. Let's imagine some some executive happens upon it and says, "Oh my God." These guys are completely justifying me doing this, and the this is bad. Like, what's your thoughts? I, I I love that question, especially since you know some of the crowd likes to blame the challenges in testing on ma- management and executive management. So let's go ahead and assume that all managers don't know what they're doing. I think very easily you look at number seven and go, okay, let's get rid of our test team. We look at number six and we use that to collect a whole crap ton of data we don't know what to do with that's not strategically planned. That's the one that says we use data extensively. So you have right. a, a so you now you have no testers and a crap ton of data with no one who knows how to look at it. And even if they did, they would go, This is crap data. In believing the customer is the only one capable to judge quality, I'm working backward. That's is you don't do any testing. You don't ask your developers to do testing, you just ship stuff. Straight out to customers, no matter what, regardless of the context, and you hope that this massive dump of data that no one knows how to look at will help you solve your quality problems. So well, how's so, that for so, a start? Yeah, so far, though, the, the path you're going, if, if a company, I don't think a company would do that strategy for too long because I think that that company would fail. Oh, of course they would. They would massively fail. So, right. you, so, so you're asking, how, like, how could an executive use what we're proposing to do evil but still succeed. Oh, I don't I don't know. I don't I I don't see a way to do evil without success here. You could <laughs> you can be dumb and implement them. And any and this is the my last statements were all about the continuous barrage of straw mans that come up in the world and especially software development. Agile doesn't work because I tried it, I did a really poor job, and it didn't work. X yes. doesn't work. For anyone, because we tried it and used everything, did everything wrong about it didn't work. You could you could straw man through. You could find straw man arguments against all these, but there's no 
as far as I can tell, unless you are thinking it's something I can't, I don't know how you use these for for evil and success at the same time. You can be dumb, and dumb can be evil, but you can't. I don't see a way to use these and be evil. Am, am I missing something? No, I was. Uh, I I I struggle with it as well, right? It's it's the um, like the the one argument I've I've seen uh, waged against us on this one is essentially an executive could use it to justify the removal of their test departments. Sort of the, sort of we're feeding the automation argument, right? We're, we're, we're encouraging the industry to kill this, this discipline. But that falls into the dumb and not evil though, right? Well, it depends. It depends, right? It, It depends on where you stand, right? If you're, if, if if you view testing or being a tester as uh, as essentially you're a member of an important craft towards the software development lifecycle, like you and I both were in 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 strong in testing back in the day, we've both had many arguments around. Uh, defensive, I would argue, or defensive arguments around the importance of our role, right? We were always kind of defending the the value of, of tests through a variety of means. Like actually back in the day, you, when you were running the big, the big TLT meeting. Uh, it was TLT, test-, test leadership team, test leaders and execs from around the company. Right. Definition so Al- overdub. Alan, Alan, Played a, a central or central role in sort of evaluating salary equivalency between test and and development, as an example. Yeah, we had a lot of yeah a, a lot of emphasis was put on protecting and value and valuing test as a discipline across the company, and this is. You know, there was a time Microsoft had just short or just just right around 10,000 dedicated testing specialists. Right. Um, and even as we we made we we gained wins around sort of salary equivalency, like the the defensiveness of the arguments that we would make defending how important we were, in my view, maybe your experience was different, never really stopped. Right, and that was because part of part of it. It's still I've made a statement before. Like the number one value proposition of a test team, from those not within the test team, and again defined by actions, not by verbiage, is uh, where the organization scapegoat when when shit goes out the door. So I think part of what modern testing is trying to do is say, hey, look, there's a these are a set of people with with very strong critical thinking skills, and they can bring way more value than just simply the team to blame when when the the sky falls. And a lot of the activities that that we see that that were honestly very important in uh, in the world where with on-prem products or shrink wrap products, and that world is not yet dead. There are lots of products going out the door that aren't aren't updated or shipped 
uh, via via the cloud or, or you know app updates. But in the service world, there are are better techniques, and and again, pivoting off of Accelerate, uh, which is one of my favorite content sources, but you could combine Reinitzen's uh, studies and, and basically say, in today's world, there's just way better techniques. Going back to your statement around Agile, like literally 100% of everyone I've spoken to, and I'm not aware of any formal study on this, but literally 100% of those folks who, who claim Agile doesn't work, it doesn't take much to realize that that team never got to a point where agile was adaptive, adaptive, right? right. It was still iterative. So they never, they never actually got to. Yeah, of course, of course. And I think rewind the stack here a little bit. A lot of the arguments against what we're doing are, based on i just don't get what you're talking about we don't do it that way or but the arguments are based on just that hasn't worked for me i haven't tried that even uh i do want to uh rewind that stack so shallow versus deep and the whole set of tangents there worth talking about but that makes me in real time because we are an adaptive not predictive podcast I'm going to change the order because I think that makes me want to go into, you were talking about traditional testing. Let's talk about this link you sent me and why you sent it to me and the point you want to make there. Because I think it's, I think it's relevant, most relevant to this conversation we're having right now. And while Brent, if, I, I'll, if I'm a good podcast editor, I'll put the link in the show notes, but you know how good I am at that. But Brent sent me this thing of... Well, actually, why don't you describe what the web page is and uh, the points you want to talk about? Yeah, so there is a company called Onet Online, and I sent this to Alan late last night. So I will admit that there is a good deal of research on on this that I have not done. Um, so. Listeners should definitely not walk away with uh, at least Brent's opinion is that this is hardcore facts. Okay, I don't know who this company is. I don't know who funds them. However, they do seem to be tracking summaries around various occupations. And there is a thing uh down below and for those who wish to follow along ideally let, not driving, let me add some missing context so brent yeah. describe what onet online is and what we're looking at the page you specifically sent me was a summary report for software quality assurance analysts and testers that's a mouthful for testers right so, so we're talking about it so it has like the typical tasks they do the skills they require what knowledge they need etc cetera, etc cetera. So the thing now Brent is scrolling to the bottom or talks a little bit about where uh, where jobs are going, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's very interesting in terms of like the activities and the sort of things that they talk about, right? I look at skills and tasks, right? The tasks very much align with sort of, you know, the old school 
what, what we call traditional testing, but you look at skills, you can definitely see uh, there is a lot of technology that is viewed as important to this. Like I, if you look at the technology skills, they have a thing, they have a little fire symbol that flags hot technology, the technological requirement, uh, technological requirement. And you look at it and you go, okay, there are a lot of things here that are a little bit more technical than say what we, what we see in the traditional test role. Right. Um, Although it does humor me because COBOL is listed in, in uh, software. Uh, don't quite understand that connection. But at the very bottom, it talks about they, they're doing some sort of predictive analysis and they have projected growth from 2019 to 2029. And it says much faster than average. 8% or higher. So they are absolutely, uh, this site is absolutely predicting uh, a growth in this space. Now, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to, to Alan about is, okay, what's that mean, Alan? What do you think? Like, are we, are we, uh, are, are we on the side of, of, Wrong here is all of the the uh, MTP uh, opponents correct in their thinking that, that essentially our bubble is is basically just in uh, Unity and Microsoft in Seattle. Well, you know it's at many more companies than that, so that's that I that's, do. that's a uh, a real <laughs> straw man. So. I think you could look at that and go, and that 8% is based on one point, uh, projected 1.5 million current people in software testing and a growth of whatever 8% of that is. So yeah, you could say, oh, there's lots of growth here. Testing, testing is not dead. So you could say that. And of course, that data is in a nutshell. Uh, I went to look at, the reason I'm, I'm pausing here is I went to look at software developers to compare is testing growing as fast more or less quickly than software development and now i'm questioning the data on this site because their numbers for software developers are exactly the same as they are for software quality assurance and testers so there's some weird rounding and bucketing i i now have questions about the data entirely well, okay. So yeah, maybe <laughs> But but overall, let's assume these numbers are correct. Uh it's fine. I think if we look at that cost of innovation curve uh, that we've the a, a bell curve of where people are on moving towards things that sound like what we're talking about with modern testing, we there's a growing number of people adopting things that are like modern testing, whether they know the name of it or not. Teams are, it's really just agile and lean. And we're, we're thinking more about, again, modern testing isn't that modern. It's not about testing. It's the reaction to our reaction to what we call traditional testing, where testing is done often by a siloed test team or even by a air quote agile team where a tester is, where a dedicated tester does all of the testing for that team. We're talking about how teams move to being able to ship multiple times a day and 
base their changes on customer feedback and use data in order to make sure that the customer is always first in how crap is getting done. So the fact that a chunk of the industry is still going to live in the world they've lived in for the last 20 years, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, But of course, predicting things is hard, especially about the future. I definitely see more and more teams, especially as more and more software moves to the cloud, doing things more like modern testing and needing not zero necessarily, but fewer testers going forward. Again, it's it's a data, it's a one piece of data amidst a system of changes. So it's hard to tell what it really means. But actually, yeah, I dove in deeper because I noticed when you went to dev, which was a very interesting idea. Like when you went to dev at the very bottom of it, it it warns that data collection is underway. But then I started thinking through and going, for example, I just looked at program manager and they don't have that listed. Now I'm actually thinking they, they might actually be combining DevOps roles because there's no position for that as well. Well, DevOps is a culture, not a role. It's from the context of this database, it's both, Alan. And yeah, you know that. and I'll give you another interesting thing, because they, they need to find the right equivalence classes or find a way for us to group those. Because if I look under computer programmer, the trend there is, well, one, it's wrong because the, the median wages are completely wrong. But they say the trend there, because I think because nobody's using that title anymore. Here's the challenge. I think that mm. title's going away because that one's declining by 1%. And they say there's only 214,000 of those employed. That might actually, I mean, that last fact might actually be true. Like I, I, I haven't met anyone that went by that title. In- yeah. So what I think here is there's, there's something here, but the, you need to actually apply some uh, data analysis to all the data here to tell a story. That's my take. So sure, someone could take this and I have a book usually on my desk. It's on the floor. Someone could go grab it called uh, How to Lie with Statistics. And I'm sure I could find some quotes to use from that with this data, but I'm not. So let's uh, drop this and move on to a mailbag question. I found the mailbag uh, uh, wave file, by the way. So we're saved. I don't have to make a Uh, I've been purposely making bad ones to force myself to find the original slightly better one, slightly less bad. So we'll use that this time. The question essentially is, and if you want to ask a mailbag question, by the way, you can ping me on Twitter. You can, you can send me an email, but easiest way is to go to one of the three and ask a mailbag question, or you can ask a question and then you can just tag it with the mailbag emoji and it'll show up in our mailbag channel. And we'll remember to talk about it. Ringo, AKA Richard Starkey asks, could you discuss in the next episode on what to automate, how to coach devs and testers on defining criteria on which tests to automate. And we all know the answer. That's what we're going to answer. And the answer is obvious. You should automate all of the tests that should be automated. And not one more or one less. Yeah, that's exactly it. So we're done with that. So the next topic, no, we should probably go a little bit deeper because that's the challenge. 
That's the challenge in test designers is, of course, figuring out which of those tests are to be automated. Uh, if you are in the, oh my God, I love Selenium, it's my life camp, your tests to automate are everything I can possibly do in the web UI of my application, which uh, probably isn't right. This goes back to, and I'm going to get up on a soapbox, and I don't think it's this one people won't argue with, the manual versus automated and teams that have separate automation teams. And, and one, one, one thing worse than having a, a separate, isolated, dedicated test team is to have a dedicated test team that's split into manual testers and automated testers. Recipe for disaster. Uh, I think when you think about how you're going to test something, you need to think about it holistically, and then you automate the tests that would be too difficult or too time-consuming to conduct with your own hands. In fact, I can't even use the word manual anymore because someone will jump down my throat telling me, it's not manual programming, so I call it manual testing. Uh, I, because I use the words that are commonly known across a million people in the industry, that's why. Wait, wait, but it is manual programming. It is, of course <laughs> it is, but we don't use that label. So anyway, testing. Uh, and really, it goes back to the original problem I said, is that testing is testing. Wow, that's even, that's even more of a tautology than you should automate all of the tests that should be automated. But it's true, testing is testing. And we're going to use the computer to help us do some of the hard parts. So we're going to do this real time. Uh, give me a feature, Brent. This has if, not been pre-planned. He's going to really make it hard for me. Go on. Feature? Like, give me something something you want me to test. Uh, calculator. Oh, that's a lot of stuff in there. So do I have, maybe the first thing I do. So say I'm a, I'm a tester at a company and say, we're making a calculator, yet another calculator app. How are you going to test it? There's a whole bunch of stuff I want to know. I want to know if it's accurate. I want to know if it has different modes they have to display. Let's just say it's a, a plain standard calculator with no extra modes for right now. We can add those later. So I want to know if it's accurate. I'm probably not going to do a bunch of accuracy tests through the UI. In fact, there's very little I want to automate through the UI on this, but I'm going to assume it has a model where I can pass numbers to it, do the calculation, compare it to an Oracle. This is a case where the test may duplicate the actual code. So maybe I'm going to sit down with the programmer, if I'm not the programmer of it, and look through it and see, is my idea for an automated test just re-implementing the code? which I'll have to tell a story about the time I had working on, uh, I tested GDI, the graphics device interface and, and user interface, which was all the user interface elements on Windows 98. Uh, lots of automated tests and some little bit, little bit of exploratory testing that I won't go into right now. But I uh, had a late night discussion with a programmer and maybe, I don't know, a couple people in the org on whether, whether or not we could use GetPixel to test set pixel set pixel would set the color oh. of a pixel on the screen and get pixel would retrieve that color absolutely it's not <laughs> alan because well well what happened in that discussion was we dug into it and it was like okay what i can do is i can go query the memory of the of the graphics device driver get that same bit of information pull that out and then compare that to the result of get pixel 
and do the same thing on set pixel. Well, I'll set pixel and to use it, I'll go query that memory on the graphics driver and see what it's pointing at, which was 100% duplicating the work that get pixel and set pixel did. So the, so the question is, can you use get pixel to test set pixel? The answer is, of course, who cares? Because <laughs> if the pixels on your screen are wrong, everybody in the world is going to notice. I'm not going to write any tests there. Rewinding that back to the calculator. Yeah, no, and the other one is it's like on this one, like I've had these discussions in the past. And the the thing is, is is you don't know how it's implemented. It could call, right? Is it the, the reason why you wouldn't use get pixel to test set pixel or whichever one that you just mentioned is because assumption could be applied to both sides and there's a preference to view it as a black box, right? And to me, the, the answer is, okay, let's just go look at how it's implemented. Yeah, I, I, because I think more the, often than not, it's gonna be some stupid property that that isn't manipulated within the class. It's yeah. just a set and get. Part okay. of the answer to automating all the tests that should be automated is to understand how the feature is implemented. There's some investigation work to do there to figure out how I'm going to test to make sure calculations are correct. One way to do it is something that the Excel team used to do a long time ago is they had some custom handcrafted assembly that that did all the calculations in Excel. What they did on the debug version of that, there's one way to do testing, is to don't do testing, just have a debug version that checks the crap out of stuff. The debug version had a much easier to read C, if you can imagine C being easier to read, but a much easier to read C version of all of those calculations that ran in parallel. And if those two calculation engines ever disagreed, you hit an assert. One thing maybe not done enough as I think about it is testing on debug versions that have massive amounts of diagnostics in place. Let me even back up that. Observability. Maybe I don't want to write tests because I have a way to turn on some diagnostics and see the state of the calculator and see what's going on, see if anything's corrupt in its memory, et cetera, et cetera. All those things go into consideration when I'm figuring out what to automate. So let's say calculation is fine. I probably want to test that two plus two. Great. Three divided by one. Oh, I know. I'll divide by zero. You, you can check all those things quickly, manually, and they're probably never going to break again. But... One thing where I maybe would do automation finally in here, of course, in addition to just, I would probably write a series of common, like a sanity check, like a unit test that ran against the model super fast that ran a thousand different calculations, made sure they work. That would make sure I didn't break anything as I'm iterating on this. But also I want to know if, and where I may even use a UI test is not to automate that two plus two, but what happens if I have that calculator open? Say I'm doing my taxes or some extensive calculation and I have it open for hours and hours doing calculation after calculation. That may be something I may brute force automate. I'm not looking for results because I, I, I trust the engine. I'm looking for after I do thousands of operations, maybe even I might write a smart monkey is what I'm getting at to see if I could get the calculator in a state where Again, using diagnostics as my oracle, not using a, a result of a calculation. Can I see if the calculator gets in a state where it is either some of the internal diagnostics are incorrect or maybe just monitoring memory usage? 
Uh, right. Over time. I was actually I was actually thinking, you know, memory leaks. Is this implemented? Like, do we see that as we keep adding operations, it, did the dev essentially implement it as every time you add a new operation, it remembers the whole history and the way it produces the results is it recalculates the whole thing every time. So yeah. so as you kept on adding operations, right, um, you see the performance slow down. But here's actually something that I think is really important that you didn't address in this particular example. Pin that for one second because I, I okay. realized I went way into solution mode. But my yeah. answer to that question on what to automate is... Take time up front to think about all of the testing you want to do or all the testing that could be done and think about the most optimum way to do that. And some of that is automated at the UI, maybe. Some is automated at a lower level and some you decide not to automate. But that's that's really my, that's the short version of that whole answer. But what's something, we're still going back into solution mode. You're saying, and you're probably right, in this brainstorming of what sorts of things I could test or, or write automated tests for, I missed something big. So what is that? Well, um, well, I don't know that I said that you did something big. I'm trying to put words in your mouth and add drama to our podcast, Brad. Oh, Play along. Sorry. Next time on... Yeah. You'll never uh, believe what happens next. In the example, test the calculator, right? It, you went into a place where, all right, what I'm trying to do is test the calculations. But nowadays, if I ask you, Alan, to implement a calculator... What would you do? Like, would you actually, if you were to go and implement a calculator, to me, with all the libraries we I, have I, nowadays. I'd go to GitHub and find someone's to fork. Uh, that NPM install calculator. Right. It, it's, uh, that's, that's true. <laughs> but if you were to build a new calculator today, more than likely, all that work is, is UI uh, connecting to well-known, well-tested, well-established libraries. Like you you're, wouldn't even write the to library. Be fair, you're the one who gave me this example. No, I know. Uh, but I did it kind of purposefully because in this case, the, the you really don't need to test a, a good deal of the, the underlying library, except for maybe a, a handful of regression tests to be used for acceptance. Like, because... For example, I deal with Python, and Python libraries update all of the damn time. So how do you make sure that it's righteous to integrate the, the library update into your project? Which, it's so. By the way, I got to mention, it's so cool to hear about someone at Microsoft using a programming language invented in this century. That's great. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, thanks for that. I don't, I mean, I don't know that. Actually, every language I've used since my career here, C was invented. Oh, this century, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> um, but here's the thing I think that is, is valuable around automation. Cause we also, you kind of, kind of didn't talk about the CICD aspect of this. For me, a decision to automate is essentially how repetitive is this work? And that's it. If it's not repetitive, don't automate it. If 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 it's not going to be part of your check-in suite or necessary for CI/CD, don't 
automated. The other thing I I think is great to automate, which doesn't lend itself to this calculator example, unless it has some sort of way to pass it a file of calculations, is uh, I automate a lot of data generation. Repetitive. Right, because it's repetitive. and, And also you can randomize it. I love the idea of data-driven tests where maybe I might, maybe it's a, a messaging app. I want to see how many contacts it can handle. I would bet that somewhere there's a tester, notice I didn't say manual tester, but a tester who would by hand, careful with my words, create 10,000 contacts to see if it would, if it would wreck the app. But something like that, again, repetitive. I would write an engine to create me you know, using the big list of naughty strings, all kinds of fun, which is a cool project you should look up if you haven't on GitHub. All kinds of cool inputs for everything, for everything that. No, uh, I I literally in my career have done that test case. Yeah, yeah, those are great right. things to automate. If you, I don't know if you recall. Do you remember what my very first project was? Oh, no, is the answer? I, I don't know the answer. And and. It's the only one of these things that I have still kept. Oh, my God. Brant is showing a copy of Schedule Plus for Windows 95, which was the cal- which was the original calendar app for Microsoft. Right. Calendar and contacts. And, um, and we used to have a thing that every, every time you ship something, you uh, everyone. It, it was got- even a verb for a long time. Even after we moved to exchange calorie, people would say, could you sked plus me? Uh, it, it's much rarer now, uh, but, <laughs> I people, would hope. I would but hope. people still still actually say, can you S plus me? But it's significantly rarer now. Um, <laughs> I, but- and I forgot about that verb until you showed me uh, until you showed me that box. Yeah, so that was that was my first product. I've 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 gotten rid of all of the other shrink wrapped products that that I've gotten over the years, but that was the first one I kept it. To me, what you test the the traditional aspect of of testing, right? It's around risk control, and as a result, uh, there's an uncertain amount of value back to the business with this work, and and a definitely a, a an ever-increasing cost to the business. So I think like Alan's tautology is actually quite wise. It is essentially you should automate what you should automate. But the way I would suggest driving that is essentially automate those cases where they're over the lifetime of the product, you're expecting a higher return. Right, you do not want a developer or or any human being to have to go through uh, manually, say, a an hour long uh, integration test. For sure, for sure. If it's valuable, then you should automate it, right? Because yeah. It, the point I want to get to, and then I want to close this and do our last topic, and then close yeah. out today is. I think a lot of folks just approach the the automation process wrong. They go, well, what can I automate? Which is the wrong thing, wrong way to start that. It's what is the testing we need to do for this product, period. And it's it's highly contextual. And then once you brainstorm that testing, you should look at that. Okay, these are the things of the overall testing that need to be automated. And very likely, in many cases, could be all of it. But at least you thought through it. 
In some cases, it may not be all of it, and that's okay too. But there is a problem I see in a lot of testing, uh, especially again from these test automation engineers who they focus purely on, I'm going to automate everything I can figure out how to automate uh, instead of thinking about what's the best way for us to test this? What actually, or like I said before, what needs to be tested in order for us to reduce the amount of risk we need to in order to get this thing out to customers? I was just about to push back on that, right? Because we don't, the goal isn't to test something. The goal is to reduce business slash customer risk, right? right? The goal, the and, goal is never testing. And, and yeah. And that gets lost, right? And, and we didn't talk about it this time um, unless we can get to the other one. But again, I remain a huge proponent, particularly in, in today's environment around leveraging the data and optimizing, you know, flight control, rings of exposure and, and doing a reactive yeah. In services, strategy. there's all kinds yeah. of safe deployment techniques you can use to reduce risk. Because again, the, that's the goal, not testing. Hey, right. one last thing I want to mention so we can close on time here because I have a hard, hard stop in like a minute and a half is modern test con or as it's been suggested, we call it Testivus. I think we should do this. I don't know how to host a conference, and uh, but we've had a number of requests for it. We talked in the past about having like a test bash Seattle, but I think we're still and, and do a follow-up day. Uh, which still may happen someday, but I think we're all still working virtually for a while. Maybe we can start brainstorming this on our Slack channel. I think we could get several of the three there. We could get several of the three. I, I'm not even sure what it would look like, how we do, if, if it would even be, I don't know. I It's worth thinking about. I'm not sold on it. I don't want to do it just as a... Oh, look at us. We have a conference. I wanted to actually provide some value to the overall testing community. I do too. And, and honestly, and I struggle with the same thing, right? With, with test bash uh, and uh, online test conference, right? My perception with those two, you know, there's a good deal of modern testing. Yeah. Uh, there that's are covered. most conferences these days there's some one member of the three seems to show up talking about something modern testing ish, if not modern testing directly. So that may be the better Avenue, but I'm just wondering if there's a one day uh, thing. I don't know yet, but I'd love to brainstorm that more. So if you're not in our Slack community, you have some ideas, please join in or you can tweet me or whatever. But something for us to think about, no plans, but I want to plant the seed and see if it grows. Yeah, it'd be if 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 there's if the three have great suggestions on what sort of is the the distinct value prop, uh, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, we'll right. get that going. All right. Uh, yeah. This was fun. Thanks for getting up early. It sounds like you've been up for a while, but uh, good job. I did finish my second cup of coffee during this podcast. That's a good thing also. Yeah, mine's halfway. I still have halfway to go. All right. Probably might need to go put that in the microwave for a minute. It might be a little cold by now. Okay, everybody. I am still the A in A-B testing. And I am not. And Brent's a big old B. See you, everyone. Bye, all. <laughs>